Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. Sermon notes are available and they are linked in the podcast notes. This week, we continue in our series called Rethinking Christmas Hymns. This week, we look at the Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we explore the story of Mary and the angel Gabriel and explore the theme of finding joy in the preparation before the celebration. As a reminder, our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, which is linked in the podcast notes. And we would love it love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are possible. Just use your favorite podcast listening app or make sure that you are getting our weekly emails. You can, uh, If you are feeling so generous, we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to grow our audience. And lastly, don't forget to find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come, over, come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day, we would enter and continue on this journey with joy as we prepare for the birth of your Son, our Savior. Amen. 
Might uh, take out your notes page there as we dive into our as as we dive into the sermon this morning. You will see that you have the full text there as well as a little bit of white space. I invite you to use a pencil from the seat back in front of you or a pen that you may have brought with you as we go through our sermon time. If you want any extra notes today, you know I've always found something interesting. So in in 2015, my wife gave birth to our firstborn son, and she gave birth on a Tuesday. And on Friday, they just let us leave the hospital. Like, they just let us leave the hospital with a small infant child, like, here you go, out into the world, load that little baby into a 2000 Honda Accord and just drive away. Now, I don't know about you, but... In that moment, I don't know that I felt completely prepared to keep this small infant alive. Now, I am very glad to celebrate six years of keeping this small child alive. Sometimes have been easier for others because he likes to jump off things and and really like the heart races in those moments. But, you know, from the moment that Sarah and I found out that we were pregnant with Micah, or that she was pregnant with Micah, we we entered into this series of preparation. And in this series of preparation, it was really hard not to get lost in the fact that at the end of this journey, there would be a joy and a celebration no matter what. Even if we didn't quite feel prepared, even if we still felt like we had things to learn about parenthood, right? Parents in the, in the congregation, amen, like you learn something new every day, right? Um, and so even though there were still things to learn, there was still joy to be had in that day. But there was a sense of preparation that started to get to that joy. And in the same way as we enter this Advent season in a series of preparation, we see at the end of this journey that there is a nature of joyousness and celebration that awaits us on Christmas morning. And yet, we are in this time where we are getting ready for that. And it can be lost upon us in this time of trying to center ourselves in the joy that is to come, but also to find joy in the preparation. We heard this week the narrative of Mary finding out that she will conceive a child, that this child will not just be any ordinary child, but this child will be Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the one through whom God will redeem creation. And as we hear this message, we think about where we'll be in about two weeks. Now, I want to remind you all, because I don't want to hear, I don't want any nasty glares from any of the mothers in the audience. Mary was pregnant longer than two weeks. All right? So, disclaimer done. I think I got another one that I have in there, Patty. If, if, if I forget it, you just throw something at me. But we see in this announcement both the way in which Mary looks forward to the joyousness that will be the birth of a child. And again, not just the birth of any child, but the birth of Jesus. And the way in which she begins to prepare her heart and her spirit to be able to celebrate joy in every aspect of the journey that will lead to the birth of this child. You see, in preparation, there is a manner to look forward at what is to come. Because the manner of looking forward in and of itself can help to build the joy that we have looking forward to the celebration. Now, to be clear, because, you know, I, I did preach a sermon a couple weeks ago about not jumping to Christmas. 
We're not jumping to the celebration. But again, we're, we're looking forward. We're reinforcing the nature of the joy that fills this part of the season as we turn our hearts towards the incarnation of God. And so we look forward to celebrate, right? We're not there yet, but when my daughter, they taught my daughter something at, at, her, at her preschool. They said, when you pray, you reach up to heaven and pull down a piece. And so I think for ourselves, we can reach into Christmas and pull back a piece to feed the joy as we begin to prepare. And you see, I think we benefit in that by having such a rich nature of theology within the hymns of our Christmas tradition. And so as we dive in today, we have probably what is the, the most essential hymn that is sung for Christmas. Now, y'all may be thinking, okay, pastor, that is a very bold, bold statement. But friends, I can think of no other hymn that when it was originally written was titled the Christmas hymn. I mean, I might be wrong. I did my research. Patty's giving me a no, so I think I might, I might be right. So I, Charles Wesley literally titled it the Christmas hymn. And through the ages of the United Methodist movement, the United Methodist Church, and even into denominations that are not United Methodist, this hymn has become the hymn that is sung on Christmas morning or as you're closing out your Christmas Eve worship service. And it is because of the nature in which it was written. So here in it, we have another Charles Wesley hymn. I don't think that I could preach a series on hymns or Christmas songs in the United Methodist Church and not at least have half the series be about Charles Wesley. The man wrote over 6,000 hymns. We only have about 300 or so in our hymnal, so be glad that it's not 6,000 of them. But Charles wrote, Hark the Herald Angels Sing in 1739. And this was within a year of what Charles Wesley identified as his conversion moment. And within that time, Wesley was driven by what scholars say was the inspiration of his newly made contact with God that was still fresh. And so Wesley, in writing this hymn, wanted to venture to do one thing. He wanted to do one thing but with like a certain nuance to it. Wesley wanted to tell the Christmas story. He wanted to tell the Christmas story, but he didn't want to just sing Luke 2. He didn't want to just write a hymn that included Luke 2. He wanted to write a hymn that not only told the Christmas story, but unpacked the theological implications and impact of the incarnation, that is the birth of Jesus, in our lives. And so he sought to feed into this song this rich theological nature of what we are truly celebrating on this day. And in 1753, we have George Whitfield, who, who famously changes the first line of this hymn to what it is today. And to continue to feed into it the way in which we look longingly at this name. Now, now, to be clear, this is a Christmas hymn. So this is not one that we would traditionally sing during Advent. Now, I'm breaking that rule this year. None of you all are allowed to tell my seminary professors, okay? This is our little secret. Is that understood? Y'all on YouTube? Y'all with me? But, and here's my rationale. Not that I really need one. 
but, but to kind of help to explain it a little bit, because I think Hark the Herald Angel Sings presents for us not just the story of Christmas, not just the nature and the theological implications that are behind the birth of Jesus, but it instills within us a reminder of the joy that we celebrate. Because I think for us, one of the things that we can get lost in, in this time of year, is getting weighed down and bogged down by all of the preparation that we don't take time to find the joy in the preparation. We don't take time to find the joy. And that's not to say that in finding the joy that there's less work, that there's less pressure. But I think finding the joy helps us to not forget what is at the end of this journey. When we unpack the richness of this hymn, as it points to this joyous celebration, we remind ourselves of the message that Gabriel offers to Mary. That the song, that song points us to the celebration. The scripture points us to the work before. And we see something interesting going on in this text. Because we see Mary, in the matter of 12 verses, move from this skeptical understanding about what is to happen to a servant following along to where God has called her to be in joy and humility. And so from Gabriel, in this, in this narrative here, we get both the end of the journey. But you see, the interesting thing is for Mary, the, big, the end of the journey is not what she's focusing on. She focuses on how do I get there. And her joy at the end of this passage, and, and really at the end of this story, while yes, it is, is attached to this sense of the child that will be born, I think even more importantly for us, that she can attach joy to the journey that brings her to this moment. And I think when we read through this narrative in Luke 1, not just, not just this, but, but even if you read on in Luke 1 and you read about the interaction between Mary and Elizabeth, and you see the way in which Mary goes along this journey, we see the nature in which she attaches to joy. I don't think any of us think that Mary had like the easiest pregnancy that existed on the face of the earth. Like any woman that has gone through a period of pregnancy in their lives knows that it can be very difficult. It can be very trying. But we see Mary in this time of preparation to find those opportunities and moments of joy as she prepares herself for the coming of this child. Because friends, if we cannot take joy in seasons of preparation then I think it is going to be so much more difficult to connect to a true sense of joy as, we come, as it comes time to celebrate. How we grow in these times means so much for what we can look like at that celebration point. Right? If we cannot find joy in the preparation, then how do we ever find or experience true joy when it comes to celebration? Right, If we spend all of our time this Advent season worrying and getting anxious about Christmas, but we don't take time to maybe just pause for a minute and find joy and participate in joy in this time of preparation, 
to reorient our mindset. I mean, I know I'm guilty of it. I mean, friends, I'm still getting ready for Christmas 2012, let alone 2021. Friends, my mind still thinks it's 2019. And we're like, yeah, that close to 2022. And I say it sarcastically, but it really is. Like, by this point in time, I'm getting worship services together every week in Advent. I'm, I'm coordinating all of our church events. I'm getting things ready for Christmas Eve. I'm making sure everything goes off with a hitch. I'm um, looking surprised when my kids open presents on Christmas Day um, or when my wife shows them to me in the lead up. I'm trying to figure out what I want to get my wife in general. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going through. And so I am guilty of going through this time and just being like, I mean, when we talked two weeks ago about those people who want it to be after Christmas, I'm not going to lie. There have been points where I'm just like, look, if it can just be December 26, God, I will be forever grateful for you. I will just be so thankful. Just make it December 26. And like, can, can we think for a second? I mean, like, first of all, like, I just like pray for your pastor. And pray for each and every one of us and for our staff as, as we go through this time. But, like, I worry about what's going to happen when I, like, come in or come in on Christmas Eve and it comes time to celebrate. Or I wake up on Christmas morning. Like, if I haven't lived into that joy in this Advent season, like, am I actually going to have joy on Christmas Day? Am I going to be in a mindset to rejoice at the birth of our Savior? Am I going to be in the mindset to enjoy the time with my friends and my family? Friends, we have to find joy in the preparation. Or, like, I fear we may never truly find joy or celebration. We can maybe fabricate it and put on a smile and pretend we're having fun. But if joy doesn't become an embedded part of the preparation then I fear it can just make matters worse as it comes time. Right? I mean, look at Mary as she enters this journey. Yes, her timidness is connected to the things that would separate her from truly celebrating the birth. But she's trying to prepare her mind by asking questions, by understanding, by looking at the process. And then you can kind of see the wheels turning of trying to reflect on what is happening and what will happen. I mean, when we dive into this, to this passage and we look, we, we have the angel Gabriel come down and, and, and he says these great and these wonderful things. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And we read in verse 29 there, but she was perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this may be. Now, friends, we don't get a description of what Gabriel looks like. But I invite you to like turn back to the Old Testament and see how angels are described. And I find it fascinating that when we read that, that we can consider that Mary is just perplexed by the words in the greeting. Like, huh? No, there's an angel standing in front of you. I'm going to be like, uh, yeah. And I find it funny. But you see, Gabriel's response to her is like, look, you're favored because God has chosen you to give birth to this wonderful Savior who will save the world, reign forever. Right? David. Um, David. Gosh, Gabriel paints this great picture of what it's going to be like to celebrate in this joyous time of the incarnation. And what is Mary's next concern? How can this be? 
Like, how can this be? In a moment where, like, I'm pretty sure Gabriel is, like, coming in here, and he's like, oh, man, I get to, I get to announce to Mary that she's going to give birth to the Savior. Like, this is going to be great. And Gabriel goes down there, and he's like, Mary, you're going to give birth, and he's going to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's going to be Emmanuel. He's going to be God with us. It's going to be great. And I think Gabriel's like, man, she's just going to be so happy. And then, like, it's that time, like, the fear for every pastor when, like, that, that, that one kid asked that question that, like, I have no idea what the answer is. Like, uh, led us to see how this, this act of the incarnation, this, this act of God coming and being and dwelling with us, this fulfillment of God's promise, transformed our understanding of creation and how we interact with one another. How do we take on this identity of Christ within our own identity to live into God's calling and purpose to transform the world through the divine gift of grace? Amen.